We were young until we weren't, but the books stay the same. Rereading, rereading our favorite books. Let's get into some of your grievances with this whole book. <laughs> And maybe we okay. can we can start. I don't know where you want to start, but maybe Curly's wife makes sense because we she was in that scene. You, you, you know, we've talked yeah, about we've I, mentioned her a couple of times now. I mean, I feel like Curly's wife is is the lesser of the the two great issues, but we can we can save Letty for last because mm. I have a lot of Letty feelings. But yes, certainly the depiction of women in this book is not good. <laughs> She is referred to as a tart, a tramp, jailbait, a bitch, a rat trap, a lulu, whatever that means. Um, and again, she's also not named. So she's literally, her character's name, I guess, is Curly's wife. And like Steinbeck, I guess, tries to give her some humanity at the end with her story about like, there were men who thought she'd be a great movie star, but her mom wouldn't let her go, so she had to marry Curly. And it's, honestly, it, it, for me, I was reading this, and I was like, this isn't really helping. Uh-huh. I get her being lonely, and like, why, yeah, why shouldn't she be allowed to interact with the other men? Why should she have to be confined to the house all day? I very much agree with those points. But we also see her constantly depicted as, like, she's coming around not just because she wants company, like normal human company, but because she wants sexual company. Obviously, you could say, well, she only knows how to ask for sexual company from men, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But it just, it feels to me, how to put this, like, you know, well, like a man wrote it, <laughs> you know, and that's, this is what they think Gasp. women do. <laughs> You know, it's uh -huh. just like, I read this and I'm like, yeah, okay. So like, yeah, her mom stopped her from like, clearly, I think the insinuation, it, or at least dumbly what I took away from it was like, these Hollywood men were not like real yes. people trying to find actresses. They were just trying to take advantage of her. So her mom prevented that. And then, you know, she married Curly to like, but she has a lot of choices. And I think that's part of why like, it's hard even then, to feel sympathy for her. Like, she, she did not have to marry Curly. She could have come around and tried to be friendly with the men in a different manner. Instead, Steinbeck is, like, choosing... To, we could we could see them... It would have been really interesting, actually, and this is what I'm going to posit is, like, the essential problem. If we do see her coming around just being, like, totally normal, and then, like, when she's not around, the men are talking about her. Like, she's, oh, she's giving us the eye. She's blah, blah, blah. We're not seeing this through one particular character's perspective, so the omniscient narrator could have shown us a, a character that's different than what the men are saying about her. But no, like, Steinbeck chooses to have the one singular woman in this story be this extremely, you know, sexually provocative figure who destroys the main character's plans. Not only does she have, obviously, the scene in Crux's room where she's incredibly cruel and literally threatens to have him lynched, but then, obviously, she is the impetus for the entire thing falling apart because of her interaction with Lenny. And, like, <laughs> I mean, I think, obviously, the, her, her death scene still is tragic, etc. <laughs> 
But like, I am somewhat bothered by, I don't know. I It's hard because there are two characters that I think are both done horribly, horribly disserviced by this, move, this uh, book. The scene with the two of them together is it's hard for me to discuss because I think both of them are getting just like the worst possible depiction they could be getting. But like, did I love that she literally asks for what like leads to her death? Especially given the sexual context of like her and the rest of the book? No, I did not. Mm. Obviously, there's the whole complicated side of the whole anything that I will get into later. There's so much to dislike about this character and how Steinbeck chose to write her. Also, ooh, this this kind of crosses into the Lonnie thing a little bit, but I'll I'll bring it up just because Sure. I think it'll be helpful in both discussions. When I was doing some research, I found out that like the whole scene of, of Lonnie murdering her is somewhat based on one of the Steinbeck's own experiences, where he was working with someone that he he describes as having some kind of mental disability or impairment, who he says got mad at their boss because they had fired his friend. And so he murders him. I think he says he like drives like a pitchfork into him multiple times. Very violent death. And so that was kind of somewhat the inspiration for this moment. So I think it's very interesting for both looking at Lenny's character and looking at Curly's wife's character to think about his decision of choosing to have that be a woman, choosing to have her be the only woman in the entire book <laughs> choosing to have her be this sexualized and then choosing to have her get murdered it's a lot of choices <laughs> and they're bad choices <laughs> it is frustrating because it the thing is if we're on a ranch out in the middle of nowhere and it's occupied by only men it does not matter how she acts she will be sexualized simply because mm. she's the only woman there it's just strange that it's like Curly's wife feels like she has to go really out of her way to sexualize herself even more. Because she's always described as wearing a bunch of makeup, which of course the men criticize her for. And it's just kind of, it's just lame. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it just doesn't really add to the story. And it also like feels, this is giving it too much credit, but it feels like a red herring. Because the sexual aspect has nothing to do with her death in the end. Lenny doesn't really show any sexual interest, per se. It's just more of an interest that, uh, you know, her, her hair is soft or, or her dress looks nice. And he wants to touch it because he's very sensory. It would have been so Can much. I go, go, please go ahead. I just want to add this, which is on Wikipedia. So again, please, you know, grain of salt. But. Wikipedia has this for her character description. A young, pretty woman who is mistrusted by her husband. The other characters refer to her only as Curly's wife. Steinbeck explained that she is, quote, not a person, she's a symbol. She has no function except to be a foil and a danger to Lenny, end quote. Curly's wife's preoccupation with her own beauty eventually helps precipitate her death. She allows Lenny to stroke her hair as an apparently harmless indulgence only for her to upset Lenny when she yells at him to stop him mussing it. Uh, and then she goes on to describe how she dies. What's frustrating about that bit is that it, it felt like the first time her humanity came out and it could have just been like a nice, let's just say I was rewriting the story. That scene in particular, what would have been more interesting if it was this kind of innocent moment between 
Lenny and Curly's wife, who I'll call her Susan in my rewrite. Lenny and Susan, who they're just sharing this this nice platonic moment of of Curly's Susan seeing Lenny for the first time is just like, oh, this is the person you are. This is all this is just all you want is you like soft things and you want to pet soft things. So you have that innocent moment where Susan is like, okay, you can touch my hair. And then somebody walks in. Maybe it's Candy. Maybe it's Curly. And sees this, misinterprets this, and then goes after Lenny. Which would actually make it more tragic in, in a very mm. real emotional way. So when she dies, it's it's more like... I really insultingly the the problem is is that you're not thinking like oh I'm so sad that Curly's wife died it's like oh no Lenny no you ruined everything you stupid bitch right like you feel bad for Lenny for murdering her yeah which yeah You're like, she ruined everything. This woman came in and screwed it all up. And she ruined it for all the male characters by being provocative. And if she didn't try and talk to men, none of this would have happened. (sighs) Yeah. So yeah, she's just... (laughs) I I do love that you chose to name her Susan. (laughs) Justice for all Susans. Lipstick should not mean you need to die and go to hell. Oh, I did. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was subconscious, wasn't it? Yeah, that was not intentional. But your brain, your brain made that connection. Susan, you will be vindicated. This is purely me Steinbeck nerding for a second here. I do think she is interesting as a precursor for a character in East of Eden, which... Steinbeck does a lot better, in my opinion. Yeah, I I won't go into anything more than that, but I do think that much like how this is a precursor to Grapes of Wrath, there are some elements in here that I think are a precursor to things he does in East of Eden, which is such a f***ing good book. You know, and this is why Max the dog tried to eat it. He's like, I understand. This is just building ground for later works. You don't need this. And yet Steinbeck was like, nope, I gotta have this. Even though, you know, it's not good. (laughs) And I think at this point we can no longer avoid talking about Lenny. Uh, Yes. We've been like talking around him this whole time. And I feel like at this point we must talk about him. Yes. Uh, well, do you want to start? Or, I mean. Sure. <laughs> I'll start with the premise that I think Lenny is a really insulting depiction of someone who has some kind of mental disability. Mm-hmm. Again, we don't know, but at, at some point, George tells a story about him, like, getting kicked in the head by a horse or something. or And that's, like, why he is the way he is. Um, I did find multiple articles that talked about him and talked about how he has some of the traits we would associate with autism, but however you want to read him. <laughs> I don't think he's a good like depiction. I think he falls into a lot of really bad stereotypes. And because the ending is the way it is, I think there's some like weird eugenics-y shit going on. It makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> what I can say, so I have some background on this, uh, the literary side of it, and also the personal side of it, because my youngest brother is autistic, 
So the, the literary side of it is characters with cognitive disabilities of one form or another are usually depicted one of two ways. They are either depicted as essentially monsters who have no control over their baser instincts or as angelic figures who because there, there was this idea back in the day, way back in the day, that people who had cognitive disabilities of one or another were actually touched by God. And that's why they they were the way they were. And so Len Lenny falls like right in the middle of <laughs> of those stereotypes where where he is both innocent. He's also described multiple times as like being like different animals. He's compared to a bear, a horse, and a dog, I think. Obviously, those things are all problematic uh, for hopefully obvious reasons. Neuroatypical folks are people too. Believe it or not, when you get down to it, they're not really that different from, from us normies. I hear what you're saying. Like Lenny, and and that's the thing is that like I'm used to seeing this kind of bullshit, especially around autism. The whole <sighs> savant stereotype has mm. existed for all time, and just the way autistic people have been depicted and all that jazz. It's generally been pretty offensive. That said, there are moments in here that I appreciated that felt very true to my own experiences with my brother. Like, for instance, at the beginning, George is cooking beans for dinner, and Lenny keeps ask, uh, saying he wants to have ketchup with his beans, and George has to keep repeating, we don't have ketchup. And it's like, do I know that kind of behavior very, very well? There, there are elements that feel very true to that lived experience that I've lived with my brother. I I don't know. I guess I'm capable of looking past the offensive bits because I'm just used to it. So anyway, anyway you you were going to say something. Yeah, I was going to say that, like, but doesn't the fact that some of the things are accurate to that experience then make the inaccuracies worse? Because then people can really connect actual real behaviors with like the fake ones so for instance um in one of the articles i was reading it brings up like the sensory stimulus thing mm -hmm. is is common among people with autism that having some sort of sensory desire that's heightened or but like it extremely rarely leads to violence the way yes. it always does in lenny's case every single soft thing we see him touch like whether it's living or inanimate ultimately gets destroyed in some way. So it's connecting this real trait with this very damaging fake one. Yes. And I think that's part of what makes it worse. And I think the very worst thing for me about the book is that you come to the end, right? And we have basically, uh, so the whole thing with Candy's dog is like he later on regrets that he didn't have the courage to put the dog down himself. Not... That he should have stopped them. He's like, I should have done it myself. It was my dog. Which, of course, leads to George's decision to deal with Lenny himself when he decides, well, the options are Lenny getting lynched, uh, Lenny going to the police and getting put in jails, and this is determined to be a worse option. Which, like, to be fair, the how Lenny might have experienced life in jail or, like, in a mental institution would 
probably not have been good, but mm-hmm. still, this is it is determined that it is the right and correct thing for George to mercy kill him. <laughs> and like, I mean, the narrative does such work to foreshadow in this and to leave this as the only option. Like, the narrative doesn't leave you room to think, like, this is a really unfortunate tragedy. And, you know, if this had not happened, Lenny would have been able to go on with his life and be fine and be healthy and thriving. Uh, Like I said, you continuously see him kill the mice, he kills the puppy, you know that they ran away from Reed because he had grabbed onto this girl's dress. It's shown as, like, an inevitably, an inevitability that they would get to this point. And, like, Mm -hmm. therefore that George killing him is the right thing to do. And I think that in combination with, like, like I said, it gets very eugenics-y. And I'm just, like, very uncomfortable. And it's, like, I think it's so so tragic that you're so used to seeing this <laughs> and therefore you can look over it like i don't think you you should have to i don't think that this this world should be one in which you have to see that shit all the time you know yes and i can't believe like i was reading this stupid article well not stupid the article is actually really great and one second let me get the name it's called the Autistic Victim of Mice and Men and Flowers for Algernon and it's by Sonia Freeman Loftus and it laid things out very clearly, but like, apparently, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but when this was written, the Texas legal system's determination on whether or not someone is too, you know, disabled to suffer the death penalty was evaluating them based off of Letty. Hmm. That's an actual thing. Uh, oh, I... No, Morgan's completely correct here. I'm just coming in to provide some more context. So, the Texas standards, which again, were in part derived from the character of Lenny, were called the Bresenio factors. And basically, they were a measurement of whether someone with a cognitive disability could be given the death penalty. Now, the U.S. does have national IQ requirements to determine the legality of giving somebody the death penalty, which is a whole other story. But Texas had, shall we say, much looser standards. Among those standards was whether a person could lie coherently, whether they could plan a crime, or whether they could interact socially without drooling. And again, these standards were derived from a fictional character in a fictional story. And up until 2017, these standards were in place in Texas. Ultimately, they were struck down by the Supreme Court that year. But nonetheless, in the state of Texas, you could be executed if you were able to interact socially without drooling. Texas, everybody. And apparently, Of Mice and Men is taught in classes on medical ethics. I'm just not sure, like, is this book doing a good enough job to be used in, like, those sorts of situations? Is this really the ethical dilemma that we want to be putting in front of 13 and 14 year olds? (laughs) When the narrative, again, is doing all its work to make you think that George's actions in the end are the only thing he could have done. And the best thing he could have done for Lenny. I I am just very disturbed and disgusted by that. 
not to get too personal, but this is like this is an everyday reality. My family and I have to think about going forward because Conley, he's he's nonverbal. He will always have to be taken care of. And we are very, very much aware that the system in place is not designed for his benefit. My biggest nightmare is that somehow Conley ends up alone and he has to be going to a group home where people who don't understand him, who don't know how to work with him, he will be forced to be taken care of by these people. And I mean, that that whole system has many, 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 many problems. And there's a lot of abuse and all that sort of thing. And Mm. yes, the ending of this book is horrifying because the suggestion that the only possible solution, the only compassionate thing to do is so terrible. (laughs) You just sit there mouth agape that this is even a consideration. But again, and I, and I appreciate you you speaking up, but it is a kind of mentality that I'm used to seeing. And it's just like hard to be outraged every time, every single time that I see it. Right. Yeah, because it's just like thinking that that somebody would look at Conley that way. I would literally murder that person. Yeah, I I think that I it was even. OK, so um. One of the, the article also brought up, and I had already been thinking about this, mm-hmm. is that there's some similarity in uh, description, especially the, like, big man, very strong, with mental disability. Some similarities with Benji Compson from The Sound and the Fury, which is from one of my favorite authors <laughs> and one of my favorite books. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, I should and probably will go back and reread The Sound and the Fury and and think about Benji more critically. But I was like, why? What is the difference here for me? And I think there's like a number of different factors. One of which is that like the spoilers for The Sound and the Fury, Benji's ending is getting sent to some kind of home. And that is very much presented as a tragedy. And not in that like he should have died kind of way, just that like, this is not how the family should be choosing to do this. They should be continuing to take care of him. So, like, I think that was a, a big factor. And also, like, we see inside of Benji's head, like, in a way that we get a little bit of with Lenny at the end when he's contemplating things and kind of talking right. to himself. But, like, as the article was saying, like, it, there's a lot done to take away Lenny's humanness from him. Whereas I felt the sound of the fury literally opens with you inside of Benji's head like that. You begin with him. And I think that also just the fact that a lot of people read the sound of the fury, but mm-hmm. a lot more people read of mice and men. And that this is what is another one of them probably most commonly read books in high school. And that this is still being handed out and handed out like with being like, this is an ethical dilemma for you to consider. Why, why in this day and age <laughs> is this being handed out to people? And I think that's really what made me so mad is that this is like, when you think about characters with, you know, mental disabilities in fiction, is Lenny one of the first ones you think of? Like that we would culturally think of? Because I think he might be. And that's really, really not good. Yes. <laughs> I understand that uh, this is 1937, that 
is also, I feel like, I, you know, that's when eugenics was really like a fun popping thing for people to be pro in the U.S., which I think is part of what's leaking into here, too. Why have we culturally held on to this book? I don't think at this point, I think at this point, the damage that it is potentially doing, especially at the ages we're introducing it to kids, is not worth whatever merits it might have. You know what? Let's let's have Grapes of Wrath. I know it's long, but <laughs> I, I probably would also hate that book, but I might just hate it because I don't like Steinbeck. Like, let's do that. <laughs> let's let's have east of eden let's have i don't know just like why it's time for us to be done with this book yeah there's this gets up to the issue of like is any representation better than no representation and i'm very strictly of the mindset no there there are there are some cases where some represent no representation is better than bad representation and i think that Mm. this is because I, I was actually doing research about this, uh, thinking ahead of like, what books would I recommend that feature characters with cognitive disabilities of one sort or another? What what books would I recommend? And I'm like, Fuck, I don't know any. I haven't really read any. I've the one big one that I've read uh, is the probably the most popular one nowadays, uh, the Curious Incident of the Dog. In the ah. night time, I think. Let yes. me let me confirm that. No, that's correct. That's correct. I'm correct. Look at me. Father is to it. A winner. That's often hailed as this wonderful representative piece. I didn't really like that book, so I can't really recommend it. <laughs> so I. That's the problem. Is that for my tastes, there has not been a book written that does a character like Lenny well. There have been some movies that I can recommend. The one I would most recommend, but with with some reluctance because it's a very strange movie, and I think a lot of people will be put off by it for different reasons. But there's a movie called Pumpkin, which I love so freaking much. A very important thing it does is that it really emphasizes that like the character in that movie who has a cognitive disability, it really goes out of its way to emphasize that this char- there's nothing quote-unquote special, which has been used euphemistically about kids with any kind of disability for generations. Uh, there's nothing special about him. He's just a person. He has wants and desires and fears and anxieties and all that jazz like every everybody else and it's just that he he operates a little differently which i think i mean morgan and i can especially (laughs) speak to how we differ from many people (laughs) we're very strange people ourselves and i think that's just a very human condition that we all are unique wonderful snowflakes but yes, using Lenny as a barometer of of what people like Lenny are like is not good. But I just think it's it's a sheer lack of rep- representation. And that's the thing. I think it's it's a lot easier to just think of characters like Lenny in a very special category in and of itself. You brought up a detail about how George suggests that Lenny was kicked in the head 
as a kid by a mm. horse, and that's why he is the way he is. But then Lenny refutes it, and it's like, that didn't happen. That was a lie. And I think that gets at to something, which I actually appreciate the book doing this. To this day, having a cognitive disability is seen as extremely shameful. It's seen as you there's something fundamentally broken about you. I think part of it is that a lot of people are afraid that if you collapse the differences between between us normies and the neuroatypical folk, you suddenly realize we are not that different. Like there's nothing better about ourselves. And that's a scary thing. We're seeing that in real time with white people who are terrified about losing their majority status and their privilege. But I think it's it's a similar concept here that people are just afraid of collapsing those boundaries. And that's why you get depictions that are so routinely and almost universally just demeaning, if not outright dangerous. Yeah, I mean, to this day, like, you only have to look at this whole current controversy going on with the movie Sia-directed I haven't seen that, so I don't know, and I have not oh. read about it. Why don't oh, you share... You... <laughs> I'm sorry. You don't have to if you no, don't I'm want to. No, I'm just sorry to bring this to your knowledge. I had assumed that you... Like, I haven't seen this movie, and I don't think anyone should from when I've heard about it. In fact, if you look on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a worse rating than the Cats movie. <laughs> and we all know what everyone thought about the Cats movie. My eyes! My eyes! Ah! But yeah, essentially, it's a depiction, from what I understand, of an autistic character played by a non-autistic actress and directed with a little actual research done into what autism is and in fact like from what i understand some of the supposed experts that were consulted were from like anti-autism groups and there's a depiction of restraints being used against the character like it's been it's been a controversy and it deserves to be because it sounds like they just did like the worst possible job So, you know, don't give it your money or your time or your energy. But I think, like you said, there's there are reasons why people are scared of collapsing that difference. And I think that continuing to introduce books like Of Mice and Men to young people is not helping matters. Um, And I was trying to think, too, like good examples. And I think that, unfortunately, like I have seen a really wonderful growth in representation of people with disabilities in the past several years. But unfortunately, a lot of them are depictions. Well, not unfortunately, because yay, representation period. But like, a lot of them tend to be depictions of people if they're autistic, then they're more on the high functioning side of things, or it's people with physical disabilities and not mental disabilities. And so I do think that there's a lack of representation for people that have uh, mental impairments that aren't like super high functioning. And to add to that, when they're depicted as high functioning, it's usually they've got a case of the savant syndrome, which I, I mentioned before, but to define it for people who may not know, it's usually autistic people. It's like things like Rain Man or uh, Big Bang Theory, where mm. they are on the spectrum, 
but they have some skill. Usually it's mathematical that they are like super crazy intelligent about. And uh, that's a problem because then you suddenly have people like as I experienced in middle school and high school, people asking me like, oh, what's what's Conley's special ability? And I remember just thinking, I, I don't fucking know. He's not a super genius. It's almost embarrassing that Conley's not special in, in some unique way that would justify his existence to the rest of the world. And that's the thing, is that all these books uh, that usually depict these, uh, these characters, there's so much work done to justify their existence. It's so frustrating to see when characters like my brother are depicted and how the the stories have to go so far out of their way that they feel like they have to make that effort to be like it's okay that he's autistic because he makes up for it in other ways first of all fuck you and second of all that's just not what the lived experience is like my brother might be nonverbal but what I've learned throughout my years of knowing my brother is that he speaks his own kind of language. And what has been a blessing for me in my own life is learning his language. I think I've told you, Morgan, about this, but to share with our listeners, Conley, the way he speaks, he, he often, it, it's like talking in metaphors almost. For, for example, if Conley is mad at you, he will say, you're fired. Because watching shows or movies or whatever, what did characters do when they were angry? They would yell, You're fired! You're fired! You're fired! You're fired! You're fired! You're fired! And there are other things that he's, that he's said or continues to say that I still don't quite understand what he's doing. Like when he was very, very young, he would do this thing where he, he would like lean in close and he would whisper, aliens he leaned back and look at me with the biggest smile on his face i don't know what to do with this information i don't know what you're <laughs> trying to tell me here but clearly this is something that you think is so so funny it's just a different way of seeing the world and and that's like the biggest problem people have and i and i think maybe that's part of why it's <laughs> you actually have to work to understand mm. and uh working is hard so it's just easier to be like, I'm going to ignore him or I'm going to place him on a weird pedestal or whatever the case might be. Anyway, sorry, that was a that was a very long winded personal no. rant about and I and I interrupted you. I'm sorry. I, I don't I No, <laughs> I don't think you did. I think I wasn't I done. Oh, well, I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't need to apologize at all. I think it's important to like. Yeah, be bringing more real experiences in because, as we've been saying, Lenny's not. I guess one last thing, and then I'll, I'll let up on the whole Lenny thing. But I think that the other thing that would again tie back to our last episode with Kill a Mockingbird, but like, again, the fact that Steinbeck chose to change the story to have Lenny murdering a white woman is, you know, a another one of those negative stereotypes that men with mental impairments are, like, a danger to women. And it's that same thing of, like, you know, black men are a danger to white women. Whereas, like, when a culture 
wants you to turn on something, they're like, but the women. Yes. <laughs> and so, like, that scene with Lenny and, and Susan reclaiming her <laughs> is, like, problematic on so many different levels, not just on, like, the level of her depiction, but also in that, like, the character that Steinbeck chooses to use to bring down Lenny and force this very eugenics-y mercy kill is a woman, a female character, and that's, like, what must be protected. Uh, that's a good point, because Curly's wife, a.k.a. Susan, almost serves this dual capacity where a brief bit of history about autism, when it was first identified as a thing, the doctor who came up with the diagnosis of autism said the cause of it was what were were dubbed refrigerator moms. Basically, moms who were cold and distant to their children, which would end up making them autistic. It's very interesting how uh, women serve this dual role, as we see with Susan, that she is both the innocent thing in need of protecting and also the slut that destroys everything. Mm-hmm. And it's so ridiculous because she can't possibly be both and Steinbeck manages to do it and it's completely incomprehensible. And that's frustrating too because it's, again, and I also like, I do want to be very clear that people with cognitive disabilities are not monsters inherently, but that doesn't mean that they can't be jerks. There is a story to tell where Lenny could be a jerk but it's constantly emphasized that he doesn't have a mean bone in his body or whatever, even though he literally destroys a man's hand and he in many ways physically manhandles uh, women throughout the story. And it's like, there's a place to talk about that and a way to talk about that. That isn't demeaning to everybody involved. And Steinbeck manages to fuck it up in every single way. He's like, what is the worst possible option? <laughs> And I will do it. <laughs> this is the thing where it feels like a historical document in the same way that like, I don't know, Uncle Tom's Cabin is heralded as this piece of literature that humanized black people for the first time in a very significant way that led to a lot of change in popular opinion. But if you read the book now, it comes off as very, very simplistic and... It would be offensive nowadays. Maybe that's the context of reading Of Mice and Men, where it has its place historically. People studying literature in college contexts, like this is something that's valuable to read because of just its place in, in the canon of English literature. Ninth graders. Mm, just read To Kill a Mockingbird again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I don't I just, know. yeah or like you know maybe and i please reach out if you have heard maybe there are more modern books that have done a better job and and we just don't know about them maybe they exist out there and we just don't know and and maybe that's that's what ninth graders should be reading certainly not this Someone take this book away <laughs> from the ninth graders. The ninth graders don't want to read it anyways. Let's be real. Like, let's just remove this from the curriculum, shall we? Mm. 
And while we're at it, remove the pearl as well. For God's <laughs> sake, get rid of it. Steinbeck is a great writer. I love him so, so much. East of Eden changed my life. If I can admit that this is not a great book, pay attention, schools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just... Oh. I I really feel like, and this is somewhat off topic, I feel like this has been the week of me being like, wow, we're really still holding on to some stuff that like we should not be holding on to. Like people, we should be letting this go. This book... Obviously, the news about Tia's movie, the whole scandal that's going on with The Bachelor right now. <laughs> Looking at you, Bachelor people, you know what I'm talking about. We as a culture, I think, have evolved enough to let go of some of these things that we used to think were okay and realize that they aren't. And we should not be doing them or reading books about them or whatever, making movies like that anymore. I think it is time for us to be done. So please consider this reread podcast's official non-endorsement of, of Mice and Men as a text for high schoolers. <sighs> Take it away from them. Take it away. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to add. That's the, you've, you've, made, you've made your point. Watch Pumpkin. I, I know. Okay. If you watch Pumpkin, I know it's a very strange movie. It's great, and it's probably the best depiction of a character with a cognitive disability I've ever seen on the screen. Maybe maybe not, don't make ninth graders watch. That's definitely not appropriate for them. So that's, that's not a solution here either, but yeah. I like that movie. Let's make Pumpkin a thing. Well, wow. un until <laughs> next time, I guess, until we read the next book in Morgan's life. Oh, actually, wait, I think our next book... Our next book will be interesting, actually, also to talk about in terms of autism, I suppose. Mm. We will check in with you next time on how that goes. Okay, well, uh, until next time, until the next outrage thing, hashtag thing will do. Thanks, thank you for listening. <laughs> yes, thank you. Bye-bye. For as long as I can say, I, I can make a change. Here we are in the future. I, I can make a change. Here we are in the future.